Are you an early stage founder looking to grow your SaaS? The SaaS Doc Founder Membership is a private community of ambitious SaaS founders where you can get a support network of peers, connect with like-minded founders around the globe, and learn proven strategies from industry experts to help you scale up your SaaS. If you want to get access to peer groups, investor meetings, mentor hours, and more to help you scale faster together, then visit sasdoccom forward slash founder hyphen membership to apply, or just go to sasdoccom and go up to the header menu and click on memberships. And even your application form, if it's right for you, mention the SAS Revolution show to apply for an exclusive discount. Find your SAS tribe and thrive with the SAS Doc Founder membership. This podcast is sponsored by G2, the place for buying, selling, and reviewing software. All audiences aren't built equally. Learn to connect with interested and engaged buyers at the right time with G2 Buyer Intent. Uncover who's researching your product so you know when to reach out and what to say. Sell more and close bigger deals by sending personalized messages directly to buyers ready to talk tech. G2, smarter software decisions made together. Join the community at www.sell.g2.com slash This podcast is sponsored by Chargeify. Chargeify provides specialized billing and data management tools to give B2B SaaS companies the competitive edge. Over the past 12 years, Chargeify has partnered with champions in SaaS like SpendSpark, Mailgun, Connect, and Earthclass Mail to streamline their billing processes, build and nurture lasting relationships with customers, and strategically optimize their organizations for long-term growth. Chargeify's innovative software empowers every B2B SaaS company to step into the future of billing. Visit chargeify.com forward slash SaaSdoc to learn more. Because we'd saved some cash, we started investing like much more. From the outside, it looked like it was working. Like we hired more people, we turned on more projects, we did all these like different things. But the inside, what I learned is that we lost, we slowly were losing focus. And we lost the the ability to ask a simple question, which is when you're doing something new, is there something that you should stop doing before you do that new thing? Hey everyone, welcome back to the SaaS Revolution Show brought to you by SaaStock, the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth, and scale. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. Hello, hello Mads, Chris, how are we today? Good, how are you? I love it. I'm glad you guys are here. I figured we'd start with a bang and then back into light intros and then the debate. So Mads, <laughs> how, much, how much equity do, do the founders of Dixa still own? Thanks for having us on the show here. Looking very much forward to the discussion. Um, so founders and, and early employees and existing companies is around 50% today. Five zero. And Chris, what about Wistia? Um, so we we used to own less because we raised a round of angel, a few rounds of angel funding um, and did that early and then it did a buyback in 2017. So we owe the va- we own the vast, vast majority of the business. More than 90%? In that range, yeah. I love that. Okay, guys, quick overview. Mads, you're playing in the customer support space. What are you building? Yeah, so Dix is a next-generation customer service platform. Also adopted the uh, customer friendship platform. We have built a unified platform in a conversational way 
being equally strong across all communication channels and also unifying data workflows and everything into one. So you don't need three, four, five different uh, solutions in your, in your stack. And Chris, you're playing aggressively in the video space. What's Wistia working on? Uh, we're a video marketing platform. So tools to make video, manage it, syndicate it. We have podcasting tools. Like the idea is that you don't, you shouldn't have to be technical. It should be really easy to get value out of uh, video. And that's what we try to help people do. Adam Clinkett in the audience liked my first question. He says that was savage. It's going to be a fun, guys, it's going to be a fun debate. It's going to be a friendly, but fun debate. So guys, if you're joining real quick, I am curious to get a sense in the audience. How many of you guys are bootstrapped versus raised? Just type bootstrap versus raised in the chat real quick so that Chris, Mads, and I can take a peek, get a sense of where, where the lines are drawn in the sand here before we move forward. So, Chris, tapping into your background here, when did you guys launch Wistia, first line of code written? We started in 2006. And, uh, you know, it took us about a year to focus on helping businesses use video. Uh, but, yeah, it's been a bit. Mm -hmm. And you hit your first million revenue in what year? I think that was probably 2009. 2009. Yeah. Great. And, Mad, same question on your end, just so we can compare here. When did you launch and when did you hit first million in revenue? Yeah, we launched in uh, in January 2018 uh, after being in, in stealth and, and kind of early adoption in Scandinavia in 2017. So it took us uh, one year to, to reach uh, or 10 months to reach 1 million. I love that. You know, people, they play games with the growth rate. What well, growth rate once you raise VC? You know, one of the easiest ways to juice growth rate is to just say you launched later than when you actually launched. And then the revenue today looks way more impressive, right, Mads? That's, that's, a, that's a good game to play sometimes. It is, but um, it, it, this was a, that's another story about a super complicated platform. So we actually bootstrapped in the beginning, but uh, we'll get back to that maybe. <laughs> we'll get back to that in a sec. Greg Dawson in the audience saying I'm bootstrapped. Stefan saying bootstrapped. Jonathan bootstrapped. Completely bootstrapped. Mads, you have your work cut out for you, man. Bootstrapped from Subhan Jean, Jeremy bootstrapped. <laughs> Chris, well, yeah, I'm going to throw my support then. Behind. I'll argue Mads' side uh, for this case, and I'll throw my support that direction. But take us through. So Chris, you had a really interesting history here because you were able to course correct when you realized it wasn't a good fit. Right? So so take us through what happened at Wistia. You hit your first million in revenue. You raise 1.7 million in two tranches from angels. Then what? Yeah, then we started scaling. Um, and as we scaled the business, the business got bigger, which was great. We hit about 10 million in revenue with 3 million in profit. Um, and the advice I got from everyone was, if you have 3 million in profit, you are probably screwing things up because your market's probably growing much faster and you should throw everything at it. Um, and so because we'd saved some cash, we started investing like much more. And um, from the outside, it looked like it was working. Like we hired more people, we turned on more projects, we did all these like different things. Um, but the inside, what I learned is that we lost, we slowly were losing focus. And we lost the, the ability to ask a simple question, which is when you're doing something new, is there something that you should stop doing before you do that new thing? And if you don't ask that question, which is like a classic bootstrapping question, like you got to focus. Um, when we were running in the mode as if we'd raised money, we just like ended up with like zombie projects. And we ended up with actually great people working on crappy things. Um, and eventually that takes a toll. It slows the whole business down. You can't take the same types of risks. And mentally, um, running at a loss versus being profitable had a huge difference. I didn't, I didn't really realize how much it was going to force us to become short-term focused instead of being long-term focused. 
And mm-hmm. so when it was easy, when we were profitable to do really creative things, invest a lot in the brand, make lots of content, build things in the product that we really believed in. We thought it would solve something that you know was like aligned with what our, what our customer wanted, but they hadn't actually exactly asked. Suddenly, we were only doing things that we thought would like drive growth the next month. And we lost some of the magic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we ended up almost selling the business and deciding not to. And realizing that um, the reason we didn't want to sell is because we'd try to rebuild the company if we sold. And that seemed pretty stupid. Um, and we were asking the question, hey, Chris, like, why do we Just to be clear, though, because yeah. you, you said this in a beautiful way on the show. Like, when anyone is looking at selling their business, a good question to ask yourself is, once you get all this money, what are you going to do with your life? Exactly. And yes. you, when you did this, you said, well, we would do the same thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was like my co-founder and I were literally sitting there like, all right, we've done this together a long time. We love building a company. Like, we're going to build another company. All right. What space is it going to be in? Um, well, we know the video space really well, like parts of it have moved p- quickly, but parts of it have moved slow. There's a huge amount of opportunity. Video space is what we know. That's where it, you go through the list of stuff and you realize, wow, we're going to rebuild our brand. We're going to rebuild all these things. Why do we feel like we need to rebuild it? And that's mm-hmm. where we realized that we were actually, it wasn't as fun to run the business anymore. And we lost some of the things that we felt like had like been the magic power in the company. And so and that we offer, thought, Chris, that acquisition offer was 2018 or 2017. 2017. 2017. Yeah. Um, And then that, what we realized at that moment was like, okay, we're going to try to fix these problems. And then actually, if we sell the company, we're still going to have to try to fix them. We're just going to, we're just, the, the, the people are going to benefit are be the people who bought the company Mm -hmm. um, versus us. So we got excited about fixing the problems ourselves. And that meant not selling, but we had raised angel money. And we also been giving options to folks because I thought we'd sell the business. Um, so to realign everything, that's what caused us to raise debt. So we raised 17 million in debt and did a tender offer, which meant that um, our investors could get a return, employees could get a return, um, and ultimately we could be um, empowered to build the business the way we want to build it. But we'd be forced to be profitable to do that. And we actually thought being profitable would would force us to be more long term focused, and um, we thought that would allow us to take more creative risk. Um, and that would actually lead to a better business. Mads, we're coming to you in a second talking about valuations, but Chris being bootstrapped is obviously focused on profits. There's no equity story that he has to necessarily tell. Chris, you did that deal in 2017, 2018, and you told me something magical happened to your profits after you did the tender offer and you established profit sharing. We're going to leave that as an open loop. We're going to come back to that in a second. Mads, let's go over to you. When did you raise your first round of capital? So we raised it in December 17. So just before we launched the uh, the product globally, it was a seed round, $1.5 million uh, from an early stage VC uh, in Denmark. So that was our very first uh, capital from outside. Otherwise, we were bootstrapped. And was that on a cap, um, Mads? Was that a cap or price round? Um, that, that was uh, that was on a, on, on a, on a price round, and a, a classic thing. Yeah. Okay. And, and what, what was the valuation on that $1.5 million? I was around uh, $10 million back then. So that was a uh, very early days um, and, you know, almost pre-revenue, right? And take us forward. So what happened next? You raised more capital since then. Yes, definitely. So when uh, after launching globally, things went pretty fast for us. We had a lot of inbound coming from all over the world. We got really strong in the Nordics and UK. So uh, already after summer, um, I've only been officially a CEO uh, in, uh, in, in the company for yeah, six, seven months. We are, got approached from a lot of uh, VCs. Um, we were not uh, in need of money. We could probably go another year. Uh, we were about 30 people or so, uh, many uh, of them engineers. Um, and then it, it almost like, uh, you know, landed term sheet um, one week after. And 
we kind of got into you know the whole uh, idea of, of scaling fast and we could see the growth continuing we could see us reaching beyond the 1 million ARR at the end of the year and then all of a sudden we were actually in this um, interesting chaos and and also a very uh, you know attractive process so so we closed a fourteen million dollar round, one four, um, and we had a we had a number of, of good good options. But eventually, we ended up with a very operational VC project gave interest out of Berlin. Really, have been a, a tremendous partner for us during the journey, and probably that was also why we we took the round. To be honest, we found we had a lot of pain points. We had grown from ten employees to fifty sixty, you know, uh, almost ten x our revenues. And we had a lot of scaling problems. To, so to revenue in, in 2019, revenue was about what run rate? So um, in, in, in 2019? Yep. Yeah, there was a $4 million ARR. So we forexed it um, uh, from, 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 18 to, uh, from, from, 19, from 18 to 19. Yeah. So you did the $14 million round right around that time. And then you did another large round, a $36 million round last year in 2020. What was that cash for? And what was the valuation on that round? So um, we talk about ranges, right? So um, um, the valuation is, uh, is somewhere between uh, 100 and 200 uh, million dollars, uh, pretty money. Um, and um, I would say that uh, the money were very much earmarked for product engineering, uh, the mm-hmm. growth into our product platform. It is a big task. And also one the reason why we were very much, you know, bootstrapped the first two years just to build something that worked, uh, you know, just a little bit. Um, we are, you know, cha- challenging three different industries: the call center industry, the ticketing uh, in- industry, help desk, uh, and also all the messaging parts. So we knew this is a journey where we need to fuel a lot of investments into our product and and, and platform. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, so that was uh, the thirty-six million dollars from Notion Capital as lead was more or less earmarked for for for, for that part of the the journey. North of $100 million valuation, it sounds like you're targeting a capital raise this year as well. Before we go to that, let's flip back to the other side. So Mads, I assume you're not, your, your board would hate you if you were profitable, correct? Probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Chris, yeah. you love being profitable. So what happened, to, what happened to profitability in, in 2018 after you gave employees incentives? Yeah, basically 2017, we would have been on track to lose about 3 million, I have negative EBITDA of 3 million. And midway through the years when we made this decision, and so we we ended up with EBITDA, negative EBITDA of about half a million. And then um, in 2018, we had EBITDA of 6 million. Yep. And what will revenue be this year, revenue run rate or now? Uh, it's about 60. And, and how much do you think you'll take to the bottom line? Um, you know, a very healthy margin, similar margins. That's all I'll say. <laughs> um, but yeah. yeah, I think it's, it's, we introduced, to your point, we introduced profit sharing. And the idea was after we did this buyback, we want to align everyone to like one thing. Like we need to be profitable to serve the debt that we raised. The company needs to be profitable. The team needs to understand that. Um, and it will, one of the questions I get a lot was like, well, was that stressful? And it was stressful, but it was also confusing, I think, to a lot of folks on the team because it's not every day that you raise debt to do something like this. Um, and so it was like a tumultuous time right as we did the deal. I was feeling good, but I quickly discovered the team was not. Um, and then within about like saying? four or why five they, Why didn't they feel well? Because I think people were afraid the debt sounds bad. You know, there's not a lot of use. If you haven't bought a house and had a mortgage and, you know, understood how that works and like, you know, that you shouldn't have a mortgage that's like the same as your income and all of these like things, um, it can be, it can be scary. And so it was confusing. And we had about four months where um, there were people who were leaving because they got a payday. They didn't want to be here anymore. Uh, People were just really uncertain in the business. And then suddenly 
we got to a place where everyone who was in the company, every team member wanted to be there for the same reason, was excited about the same thing. And that is when the magic of like the focus came in. Yep. And suddenly, you know, we would, we would, we always have disclosed our financials to the team, but we would disclose the financials on a monthly basis. And before we'd say, are there any questions? And it would be, it would be crickets. And then after this, let me tell you, once we did profit sharing and introduced this stuff, any questions, half the hands are up. <laughs> and it's like, why are we spending so much on gross margin? Why is this problem over here? We have two offices. Do we really need to, you know, all these types of things. And so the team, the reason we got to be so profitable was not because some magical thing I did. It's that the team owned it and we figured mm -hmm. it out. Mads, before we go back to you guys, I'm going to reset the room. We've got about five minutes left. I see great questions coming in via the chat. Ken Carter, will get to yours. Carolina brought up a good point in terms of uh, profitability versus going public. Stefan also brought up a good one. Uh, <laughs> he said, if I sold, I'm definitely not going through another startup again. I'm going to relax on a yacht somewhere, right, Stefan? <laughs> 45 foot or 60 foot yacht? You tell me. That's All always right. a question. That's always the question. <laughs> always the question so so mads going back to you right look the, the, the debate between bootstrap versus vc path is all this the income to the the wealth generation for the founder comes at different times and the bootstrap is sort of more guaranteed because there's profits you can pay out every single quarter month year you're playing a long-term game maybe you end up selling for a billion dollars and you're way richer than chris but maybe chris is happier because he had income the whole time and he's living a great life so this is the dichotomy that, that founders are struggling with so help me understand in, in your shoes what sort of story do you have to tell this year to go out and successfully raise a 60 or 80 million dollars at an up round and not a down round yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think, of course, the continued growth, showing the uh, the healthy metrics, um, going through a very difficult year, uh, 2020, where we, we we more than doubled our revenues and and went into verticals that needed our, our platform and solution. Um, I think that's that that's a very important story. Having um, clear product differentiators, showing clear um, customer value into. Uh, yeah, for instance, in, in video uh, with this year and, and many other verticals, food, groceries, gaming, and so on and so forth. So, and one big thing for us, of course, is, is our U.S. expansion as we, we are doing as we speak is, is a very, very important part of, of our journey. There's no doubt we are in an industry, uh, if you include Salesforce CRM uh, side of things, $300 billion. It is a big boys league. You need to invest heavily in go-to-market product and make things work at the same time. Um, we're doing that. Um, we are up against uh, some, some interesting uh, players, some, some big ones and some more legacy, uh, I would say, driven uh, companies. So the opportunity is huge. And I would love to be honest um, to have bootstrapped uh, more, um, but very early on we 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 realized that that this journey we need a lot of help and support, but we also need a lot of capital to invest into both product engineering and the go-to-market uh, model, which is uh, expensive, capital intensive. We just saw a deal three weeks ago where Reflective, who played in the sort of uh, you know personnel management space, raised 140 million bucks. They capped out though at 14 million revenue and sold for 14 million. So massive loss for everybody. That's obviously the downside of venture that no one talks about. So my question to you guys before I go to questions is who is more likely to buy who? Wistia buying Dixa or Dixa buying Wistia? <laughs> <laughs> Great question, Chris. Um, I would say um, 
Probably a merge would be the right word instead. There you go. <laughs> Just an even merger. Yeah. A bunch of politicians. That's how you get around on that stage. one. Yeah, a bunch of, pol <laughs> bunch of politicians on stage. All right. This is good stuff. Guys, let's let's wrap up here with a couple minutes of questions here. Greg Dawson just asked for Chris, what percentage of average is the profit sharing for your employees' compensation and does that affect their base salary? So talk about how you schedule profit sharing. Yeah. So for profit sharing, we take a percentage of EBITDA that is just like um that scales with EBITDA every year. As EBITDA gets bigger or smaller, like that's this, it's the same percentage, 10%. And then it's paid out like a bonus to each person. And um we do a lot of work to make sure that we pay people fairly and equitably. So we like audit how we compensate folks across the business multiple times a year. We do it across like every demographic. Um, and we really, we just try to pay people really well. That's one of the nice things about the position we're in being profitable is we pay people really well. So it comes up as a bonus. So depending on the year, you know, I think it's been maybe like 8% to like 15% or so. Um, but you know, we're also trying to pay people better up front because we are, they're not, they're not getting equity. So they're not, they're, they're not getting this thing that we, they don't know how to value. We don't know how to value. They know how to value, um, what it takes, what they get compensated for to work at Wistia. And so that's, mm -hmm. that's how it works. Ne uh, Nina foot Mads has a question for you. What's the best thing your investors did for you besides the value of the, just the investment? Yeah, that's a very good question. I would say maybe taking us back to the operational um, uh, approach that the, our Series A investor did helped us in you know all the pain points. We had um, a lot of challenges with scaling the, the data side of marketing. We even had some some around our platform. We had about the data processes, legal stuff, um, and of course a lot of, of the talent hiring. So they actually went in and they they actually took people from Berlin and put us put them into our teams for one, two, three, even six months, um, and and that's their approach. They are very different, I would say, in a good way, operational VC. So they were almost a part of company. That also comes with that yeah, you be you know, everything is transparent. You know they know all the good things and all the bad things going on. Uh, and you need to be aware of that if you invite an operational VC. Um, and, and, and it was a great thing for us. I think it 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 actually made us, um, uh, you know, growing uh, much faster than, than otherwise. Chris, Mads, thank you so much, guys. If you have questions for either of them, I encourage you to screenshot the slides. Use the hashtag SASTAC remote on Twitter, and those guys will jump in. Chris is also doing a private room here in a second, which Alex will talk about. Again, Wistia, Dixa, Mads, Chris, thanks so much. Thanks, Nathan. Thanks, Nathan. Great to see you again. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SaaS Doc conferences around the world.